Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist, brought to you by the Board of Conscious Capitalism in Connecticut. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also to business owners, startups and entrepreneurs. The Curious Capitalist is available on all of the world's biggest podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. Never miss an episode again and subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the latest episode of The Curious Capitalist. Now, this week, I'm joined by Glenn McDermott. Now, Glenn is the Executive Director of Conscious Capitalism Connecticut, and he's going to be speaking with Stefan Itterborn, the founder and CEO of Cake. Now, Cake is exciting, always exciting, but I'm particularly excited about this because since founding in 2016, experienced entrepreneur Stefan has had a goal to create electric motorcycles that would combine excitement and responsibility whilst inspiring the shift to zero emission society. Nothing wrong with that. Since the launch of their first bike in 2018, Cake has received lots of awards and accolades, and they now have an awesome range of bike options with striking designs. Now, both Glenn and I are super excited about the the drive for net zero and especially electric bikes. So let's find out more on this episode of The Curious Capitalist. Glenn, Stefan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for the intro, Claire and Stefan, for having us today all the way from Stockholm. I'm a big fan of Ride Cake for many years. I didn't realise that was such a young thing that we share, which is even more profound given your successes. So tell us a little bit about you and how you got to this point. Well, speaking about Cake specifically, it's, it's kind of interesting as I'm not the typical motorcycling geek. I'm rather the guy who puts my finger up in the air when there's a Ducati passing by in the street. I'm like, uh, get out of here. You're disturbing. So there was nothing drawing me to motorbikes, basically. But in my previous business, a company named Pock with a mission of saving lives and reducing consequences of accidents. For gravity sports athletes, we always exhibited at the big trade show, sports trade show, Ispo in Munich. And I ran into an electric motorbike for the first time, maybe 10 years ago. Immediately kind of shouted at me, hey, get me, ride me. And I was kind of excited about the fact that I could get out there exploring without disturbing due to the fact that there's not really any noise and the fact that it was not polluting. So without any intention of starting a business, I got one of those bikes. And a few summers later, I realized I had 15 electric motorbikes at my country house. (laughs) And uh, again, no aspiration of starting a business, but having been in product development and starting businesses throughout my career, my life, I began to look at how these were constituted, made and so forth. I realized that I would do it differently. And that happens in conjunction with a general transition in society when it comes to transportation in general. The boom is beginning to happen right now when it comes to electric, as well as two-wheelers taking a larger chunk of the actual transportation space and competing with cars in urban environments to a large extent. And this is going to accelerate going forward. And the combination of you know developing a more accurate product between chassis and the electric drivetrain to what was going on at the time, together with this market, and altogether being able to embrace the purpose of actually inspiring towards zero emission 
an obligation that we all share from different perspectives. And in this case, there's a fragment of good that I can bring among the uh, all of us that need to bring, you know, we all need to bring something in this change going forward. And this is how I'm investing my time to inspire and do good at this point in life. Yeah, of course, sustainability is a key point as we head into the uncertainty around climate change and everything. You know, I'm originally from Australia and I happened to spend a lot of time on two wheels as a kid and continue following my life. And two wheels has given me with an incredible source of adventure and inspiration and excitement. And there's a vulnerability around that too, which makes it a more interesting mode of transport. But all of that stuff put aside now as a human race, we are faced with enormous, enormous challenges around sustainability and climate change. And of course, this makes a product like yours much global scale. And I really enjoy how Cake have sort of adopted a little bit of a quirky Scandinavian design into your products, which gives them a sort of standalone look and feel. They're not like anything else. They don't look like anything else out there. So you have the benefit of having a, a very recognizable brand. Tell us a little bit about the higher purpose within Cake and how you bring that together with the, your whole team. I think that throughout my career, I've actually started somewhere between seven and 10 companies. A common denominator has always been purpose. My previous business, Talk again, saving lives and reducing consequences of accidents. And in this case, inspiring towards zero emission. And I'd say that from my perspective, the biggest challenge against sustainability from an environmental perspective is actually our pace of consumption. We buy too much crap too often that ends up being garbage before we know it. So in this case, what we try and do is basically aside, we will never pound our chest saying, hey, look at us, we're electric and therefore we're sustainable. That's just how things will grow, develop going forward, which is good. In that case, we do everything we can to extend life cycles. And that's for environmental and commercial reasons too. And it's beautiful to do something that actually combines those two aspects that most people would consider being opposites. But in this case, we work from four main pillars, which is basically purpose, innovation, performance, and physical quality. And those four parameters in combination support our ability to extend the life cycle of our bikes. And a short comment to what you just brought up, Lance, speaking of, I've come to love riding motorcycles too. So I think that's a must if you get the energy needed trying to achieve what we're trying to do here. The combination, again, between values and passion. And from that perspective, I would say that the joy, and, and you brought that up in the beginning, Claire, when you kind of introduced me with the combination of excitement and responsibility, potentially in most people's eyes, a contradiction. But there is that opportunity. And getting into this business, not being a motorcyclist from the beginning, I think that I came in without the do's and don'ts that comes with anyone who's in a specific trade or in a specific space. So we could actually promote the idea of trying to develop a new category that I we might be talking a bit to during this chat, but also bring a new typology. I was not like burdened or restrained by, you need to put something that looks like gasoline tank somewhere or that has not been tried or that has been tried before and you cannot do it. So it was like a, a fresh sheet of paper, a blank paper, where we kind of brought our ideas without that kind of legacy of the do's and don'ts. And we brought the typology that supports, and I would say, sorry if I'm babbling on here, but I'd say that what I did not like from an outside perspective when it comes to the motorcycle culture is that it's all macho, rory, aggressive, complicated, excluding. Yes. Yeah. And we want to promote inclusiveness, easiness, crispness, uh, you know, cleanliness of things. So I think that what we actually would direct us in the process of establishing whatever the cake typology might be, it's pretty much the opposite of what motorcycle culture 
positive. It's a great opportunity to disrupt an industry that, as you said, is established in the sort of macho, loud, exhaust, Harley Davidson riding, very much male-dominated culture, in which exists probably globally, definitely yeah. here in the US, with brands like Harley Davidson. They've definitely built their legacy around that. And they're having a pretty awkward time from a branding perspective to try and shift their product alignment or assortment into their electric range. That's where the disruptor have some advantage in, like you said, approaching this product from a canvas point of view. There's no habit of putting a gas tank where it used to be, uh, which I think establish not only the product design, but also the product life cycle that you were referring to. Tell us a little bit about the sort of environmental impact of your product life cycle. So basically, I would say starting from square one, one of the important aspects when it comes to sustainability and our need to take action from a number of different perspectives, that also connects to another contradiction, which is patience, because we are not going to be able to change everything from one day to another. We need to plan and we need to have a clear path on how to improve our way forward. And I would say that as we started this business, we started manufacturing everything in Taiwan. And the reason for being in Taiwan is that 40 years ago, Taiwan used to be a, a cheap labor country. And all of the two-wheeler two manufacturers, whether they were bicycles or, moped or motorcycle manufacturers, went to Taiwan. Since then, they've developed enormous skills in terms of actually making this stuff at high quality. On our side, to be able to move as quick as we needed to move to get into the market to actually start announcing what we were trying to achieve, Taiwan became a natural choice for us. That said, it's not our way forward forever because as of now, we've established an assembly manufacturing for Europe. And we're doing the same thing for North America, doing H1 next year. And we're sticking to a facility in Taichung in Taiwan to support the Asian market as we start tapping in there in 2023. What I'm saying is basically that we need to shorten shipments and distribution distances and be able to vertically manufacture as much as we possibly can, much closer to our markets. So that's one thing we're doing. At the same time, we have wonderful projects going on together with Vattenfall, which is one of the, uh, the big power companies here in northern, northern Europe which is basically doing the first fossil-free, I'd say, vehicle, actually, as close as we can get. Because, again, 100% fossil-free is totally impossible. Just by being human beings, you never get to that point. But if we can reach 74, 83, or even 94% in terms of getting closer to that target, that's what we're aiming towards. And that is to be launched in 2025. And that means that we're turning every screw and bolt on the bike to make sure that we find the material needed as close to ourselves and then using clean energy for you know the making and the manufacturing and everything so it's a number of different initiatives and there's more to it than just that but i think that there's too much greenwashing going on we need to be transparent about our shortcomings and be clear about the fact that uh, you know we're far from being perfect i'd say it's just as bad driving or riding a an electric vehicle today as it is riding or driving a gasoline vehicle but in 10 years from now, it's going to be a hell of a difference because there's so much going on in terms of development, improvements, innovation and so forth. So being a part of this movement and being able to accelerate that and showing what works and what does not work is important. And this Vattenfall project, for instance, doing the first as fossil-free as possible bike is also a project that we will start you know, sharing from August this summer. And it's going to be run as an open source project. So all our findings will actually be officially communicated. 
on an ongoing basis what we succeed with and what we not you know succeed in actually dealing with so wow. again doing good being transparent avoiding shortcutting and cheating is, is crucial and i think that even though the, the market is or i'd say business is cynical at times i think there is an opportunity together with general obligation and must to actually improve faster than what we believe but again it's not from one day to another pursuit it's going to take a lot of commitment and perseverance. It sounds like a very long-term project for sure. So I just want to pick up on something you said, and it really resonated with me, is that I have never ridden a motorcycle. Truth, I never have. I've been on the back of a few, which is a bit scary and a bit hairy. I am genuinely so excited about electric bikes. I cannot tell you, electric motorcycles, and for a few reasons. Number one is the environmental impact. Number two is to be silent. I can't bear, much like you, Stefan, noisy motorbikes drive me crazy. They invade my environment and have a negative impact on me. And there's things like the, um, I've been reading about it because I've not had the pleasure of jumping on one of these yet, but the lack of vibration, so the smoothness of the ride and the talkiness of them. These things fly, let's have it right. I mean, when you think of an electric bike, I I can't, you know, I guess there's like... um, not a stigma because it's not that old, but a feeling that perhaps these are less than their petrol big brothers. But the reality yeah. is the distribution of the power. These things are quick. They can be super yeah. quick. So uh, I'm very excited of not burning myself on an exhaust pipe as well, by the way, because uh, I have yeah. done that a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. It's a key point because you're talking about market share. And, if, and I think that was a big market opportunity for brands like Kate because they can appeal very much to the women potential riders. And particularly when it comes, you know, the urban ability. We live in the US, it's a big country, highways everywhere, big trucks, big everything. I mean, the average footprint of a car parking space here is about eight feet wide because that's <laughs> the size of most, most cars, you know. And when I go to Europe and particularly cities like Stockholm and Amsterdam that are much more two-wheel friendly, the, the whole tone of the urban environment becomes quieter and more intimate and you can smell the flowers, you can talk to one another, and you're not continuously harassed by these flying machines. And that's, I think, one of the biggest things that I miss about this country is that much a a car-centric culture. I mean, this is where they were born, designed. So much of the American culture is built not only on the fact that it's a big country, so you kind of need one, but when I moved here, I felt like it was much of a cycling culture. And when I go to other countries, I'm realizing that that's still true. No surprise, of course, that in Scandinavia, companies or brands like this are born because of your cycling tradition. And also the Scandinavians are also famous for their beliefs around sustainability and so on. So I'm not surprised that things are lining up for you at Cake and will set you up well in the future. But I wanted to ask you about the anti-poaching something that really got my eye because I'm a staunch sort of animal rights believer. And, and so when I see animals getting killed in South Africa, I'm on my tears and, and I love projects to support the anti-poaching movement in South Africa. Tell me a little bit about why and how that works. And I really would like us to get back to uh, the, the topic, uh, topic of urban transportation later on. But I'll start by talking to the African initiative. So what happened was that I had this friend nowadays. It was an acquaintance, mutual friends with someone else that rang me up and said, Hey, Stefan, I've heard that you're doing these off-road motorcycles, electric ones. I'd love to ride one. And I invited him to my country house. So Anton Strabay is his name. He came along. We had a ride and 
And uh, after we had had that ride, he was like, this is amazing stuff. And so uh, I don't know if you know about this, but I'm an African hobbyist. And I was like, all right, tell me what's that? I'm into conservation. I'm into anything that related to the issues and challenges of wildlife and imperialism of the African continent. So that said, he told me that there are motorcycles being used for anti-poaching in Africa. But the problem is that they run on gasoline, of course, and uh, there are two main uh, issues with that. One is that those bikes, they're kept in the fields, so they need to either fly in the gasoline with helicopters or chuck it in. The next thing is that they're super noisy. So when the poachers, you know, they hear these motorbikes like 45 minutes away. So they're like, hey guys, time to, to pack it up. They're going to be here in, in 45 minutes. So the level of efficiency was zero, basically. Yeah. And he said that, Stefan, think about the opportunity of making a bike based on the count platform, which is one of our platforms, that would silently sneak up on these poachers to actually bust the guys and not just have them leave before you, you, know, you arrive. That was one thing. The other thing was that he asked me, do you think there is an opportunity of actually having a solar-powered charging system that would be kind of mobile? And I was like, yeah, let's speak to our friends at Gold Zero in America. They're into solar power. And we could potentially, you know, start developing a version of the bike which is going to take the challenges of Africa, which is mud, dust, heat, and whatever. So we started that internally, while internally, while at the same time addressing the guys in, in, in America, you know, asking them, do you think that you could provide us with something smallish on wheels that will be kept in the kind of, you know, the base camp, and then we're doubling the battery kind of uh, availability, being able to charge on a daily basis and keep this. this fleet anti-poachers running so said and done we just made that happen and these days we have uh you know we actually had a superb partner in africa which is the southern african wildlife college and that's the college where they train these rangers so the combination between doing uh, R&D with these guys in the field and doing good, chasing down the, the poachers, and just another angle of, of that we could never, and I can tell you that we would never ever have come up with this idea ourselves. It's like a bird is flying by and you catch it, you know, on the fly. And this was one of those situations where I was like, we need to make this happen now. I cannot resist because it makes perfect sense. Sun. Eternal, you know, availability, doing good, innovation, in the field of the most, you know, unlikely environment being Africa here. A perfect combination of wonderful aspects coming together. So that's the story. Love that. I love that. Saving animals one motorbike at a time. That's just awesome. It's a perfect solution. It's absolutely perfection. I would love to see that grow and develop more so into other areas as well. The Curious Capitalist podcast on behalf of the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter is created and produced by Red Rock Branding. If you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe to and share this podcast today. How has the development for the solar panel system gone? Well, it was basically, we let, we let that, what, what that is, is basically that there's a power station on wheels and then there are two panels. The beauty with it, you know, and this is, again, worthwhile mentioning. I mean, when it comes to fossil-free energy, I think a two-wheeled motorized vehicle is the perfect choice because there is very little resistance in terms of aerodynamics and rolling resistance. You don't need that much batteries. And this was the whole concept when I 
I started because what I did was that instead of just adding on battery cells to current sizing and geometry of, of motorbikes, they end up being super heavy and you need tons of battery cells to make them perform. My take when I started Cake was basically, let's go in the, the opposite direction. Let's make the bike as light as possible to reduce the number of battery cells needed. And that said, we need less energy to charge our bikes. And a bike, a two-wheeler itself, as a being the perfect vessel, needs less power. So in this case, with two solar panels, you can charge these bikes and they can run for four and a half hours. They get to 100 k's per hour, 65 miles per hour with the amazing torque and whatever comes with that. If that same thing had been a truck or a car, we would have, have needed 50 solar panels. Yeah. I mean, the efficiency of a two-wheeler in this sense is beyond anything else. And that efficiency is also carried over into what we were talking about within the urban environment. Tell me a yeah. little bit about your take on changing the face of urban transportation. Yeah. So basically, getting back to our initial you know, extending life cycle concept, People would, you know, ask me why? How come you start with, you know, the off-road bikes? There's no real market in that. Well, there's a market, and we can, you know, uh, initiate things like in Africa and so forth, which is amazing. But more important is that to be able to have a credible and a confident approach to durability, we need to have bikes that jumps 90 feet and, you know, would do a double flip or whatever, because that's then later being implemented in our urban everyday, you know, vessels to be used by anyone, whether it's for commercial usage or just for commuting. For me, that's super important to continue developing durable, high-performance bikes for us to understand and being trained and learn and implement. So on the urban side of things, things are happening at high pace right now. If we had had this discussion six months ago, and this is specifically Europe because the US is, I guess, 24 to 36 months behind and there's also the, a different constitution in terms of how cities have been designed and the infrastructure is built and all that. But what's happening in Europe now is really interesting. So six months ago, I would have said that our business-to-business customer is a short-haul urban transportation company with a sustainability-oriented perspective. Today, I would say, unless that same company has a fossil-free solution for the short-haul urban transportation within, let's say, 24 months from now, they will be out of business. Because what used to be visions and values until recently has now become lawmaking and regulations. So Paris ahead, banning cars from the inner city, Berlin following, Barcelona following, Holland decided six weeks ago that they're banning cars in total from the city, meaning that if you're a carpenter or a plumber and needing to change pipes for Mrs. Cruyff, there's no chance to bring your truck and your toolbox and your pipes. You need to park your truck outside the city. And then change means of transportation, bring your toolbox and the pipes for Mrs. Cruyff and get it, you know, make it happen. Same wow. thing goes for anything else, which is, you know, whether it's parcels or whatever. So yeah. we can see how the profile, the character of sales in our, you know, business has changed dramatically, where instead of just converting uh, sales one by one, we're now getting orders of 12 and 24 and 36 from the yeah. different urban related needs, basically around Europe primarily. As you're speaking, it's reminding me of the pictures that came out during COVID of Venice and the canals of Venice. Yeah. So literally, they were given a break because people weren't traveling there and polluting there. Uh -huh. and the water turned blue. I've just got this image in my head of what are those cities going to look like in 10, 15 years yeah. time once they've implemented yeah. this. It's, it's exciting times. Really exciting yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, truly. You're ahead of us in the sense of legislation requiring... I don't think there are any US cities that are in that direction. It could be a while for that to take effect. They've been talking about it in New York for some time. 
it's, it's a city that still continues to be sort of ruled by the car and there's a tremendous cost to that but i think in america at this point there are certain clusters in california there is portland there is seattle there are a few spots where i think this will actually occur before we know it so but we'll see but i agree with you it's, it's a different story and america is a continent it's not a country now i mean this this was my outside european perspective on on, on something but Hey, listen, I was European once. I know I'm a Brit and Brexit and everything, but I, I'm a European in my heart, Stefan. I'm yeah, still yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah. Can you describe the sort of culture that you've created? Every business has its own beliefs and things like that. But given your pride building them, it, it, does that create a, a specific sort of thumbprint in terms of the culture of the organization? I think that we grow fast, which is always a challenge because there is this pace of recruiting people where uh, I would wish for a more kind of patient to, to have more time making sure that we actually have perfectly chiseled the organization. This is what makes me a bit nervous. What makes me super happy is also pace, even though it's frust frustrating at times, which is basically moving super fast, sharing a common perspective and a target and, uh, you know, visualizing that and supporting it, winning together and losing together and, uh, you know, being able to learn from those mistakes and, you know, keep on running in a shared value direction. But I think that the honest answer would be, is everyone within the organization as committed to the, the concept and, and the need for accelerating sustainable solutions? I'd say to 70%, and I wish it was 100%. And I'm not gonna point at anyone specific, but it's what makes me, doesn't come as a surprise, but I think that we need to work being a fast growing organization, that the need for culture and for cultural kind of positive contagion is something that we are working on. I think culture is crucial in an organization like this. And maybe it's you, you cannot expect more than a 70% commitment. I'm a bit blurry when I respond to this, but maybe it's it's a bit of a disappointment too, where I would at times uh, wish for a, a more in-depth commitment to certain crucial aspects of what we're trying to achieve. But maybe it's the nature of human beings. Well, 70% is actually a pretty good number compared to industry averages. There's so many more. I think it's 66% of people are actively disengaged in their work. So, um, and I'm not sure where that number came from now, but if you can say that you've got a much higher ratio of people that are actively supporting the purpose of the brand, then I think you're in a you're in a pretty good place. And of course, those numbers vary from country to country. But thank you for saying that. It makes me feel much better. Uh, <laughs> but I think another good sign is that we do influence people in terms of what we're trying to achieve. The number of people, you know, looking us up and knocking on our door to, you know, to get involved is just crazy from all over the world. In that sense, I think that there's a big crowd out there who's actually seeing what we're doing, who wants to be part of it, which is extremely uh, flattering, I would say. One of the favorite sort of things about your range, sort of uh, utility nature of it. So like you said, if you're a, a adapt your rig to service your particular industry, I think that's yeah. a very smart design move. And as you were saying, it, it's really designed to get the specific contractor groups in the last mile of their delivery of services in a in a particularly sort of built up urban environment. Has that been a success? And if so, how? I think it has been. We launched that pretty much uh, six months ago. We showed it the first time, maybe eight months ago at ECMA, and we've started to deliver those bikes in the, just you know the past 60 days. I think it's for anyone who's used them, because what we're trying to enhance in that sense is power, efficiency, and range. So 
everything is a bit more powerful in terms of battery sizing and, and motor sizing and so forth, promoting the need for these different contractors and, and, and whoever they are. And attention is amazing. I think that this is potentially one of the products segments on our side that will grow the fastest going forward because it does solve a lot of problems. So aside from the lawmaking and legislation I was talking to about before, one of the big issues with being a, you know, a contractor or a service guy, wherever it might be, is they spend half their day on finding a parking place for the truck. And once they've found something, it's actually in an illegal place. So they end up, you know, with parking tickets. So I think that the mindset of realizing that, hey, I've got a super quick, efficient, agile vessel here, which means that I'll get to the point of action much faster and I get rid of those parking issues is something that is being realized at a pretty high pace. So Massively. Um, this Massively. is definitely something that will move faster and faster. So I have a friend um, working in New Haven on the sort of urban street environments, and I was talking to him about streets to be more cycle-free yeah. um, with the expansion of the cycling path programs. And he was explaining to me the kind of resistance that he's getting from other constituents in the community, namely you know, people that expect a car park outside of their house. That was number yeah. one. So it's, yeah. it's this sort of cultural expectation that, and here's my car park, and do yeah. not separate those two. So he was explaining all of the resistance that he's getting about changing some of the the allocation of 100% of all the road space to cars and, and how culturally we're sort of predisposed to, to do everything around the car and how that's costing us a lot in terms of our evolution. What, what do you think about that? Attitudes is one of the main... I'm a bit surprised, actually, speaking about what's going on in Europe now and also in California, you know, when it comes to this electric highway, we did a project together with Polestar, which is a, is a Swedish-Chinese an extension of Volvo, but electric car maker combo vehicle basically a car with with one of our bikes at the back of the car and supporting the idea. initiative comes from politicians which is basically making these investments in the electric highway in this case in california or banning cars from the city whether that be parishes or elsewhere but in this case realizing that that what the electric highway in california means is that Anyone is allowed to take the car to get, you know, to a town along the coast, but you need to park your car along the highway. There's no chance of taking your car all the way into town. So what happens then? Well, you can take a public transport, you know, potentially a bus, the car park along the highway to get into town and do your errands, whether it's doing this and this and this and this and that. And then you need to get back again. But if you have five errands and need to carry six bags, it's going to be kind of problematic getting on that bus and getting the stuff with you. So in that sense, we made this product, which is now live. I think we start delivering the, the bikes and the, the stands for to, to carry the bikes at the back of the car in a month and a half, maybe. This is not going to kick in before this electric highway is up and running, but it shows tangibly and for real that the combination there's this concept of chain mobility that has been discussed theoretically, which is now happening in a way. So bring your car with the back at the back. Uh, at the back of your car, roll it off as you get to the parking lot, get into town, do your errands, get back again. So that's an example of lubricating the challenge of people's expectations of always being able to combine the idea of my house and my car yes. to some extent. I love that. So, when they introduced the London congestion charge, there was absolute yeah. uproar. White van man couldn't get into the city and they started quite conservatively, I think, with A, the charge and B, what they were letting into the city, but it's getting, yeah. they're squeezing 
squeezing it and squeezing it and squeezing it. What a yeah. fabulous invention to be able to park on the outskirts. And if you yeah. need to go into the city, yeah, yeah, yeah. jump on it. And also, yeah. you know, you are pulling along the Neanderthals with you because yeah. where it hurts people most is the wallet. And that's how you're yeah. going to, you know, change some people's minds is yeah. when they're filling up with gas at the moment, people are getting very upset. You know, it's like, yeah. look, look for alternatives and here's cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's really interesting initiative in Paris, which kicks in in September, which is that, that the, the Paris is full of, of, of mopeds and vespas and you know, two-wheel <laughs> motorcycles. And, and what happens is now decided that or legislated that anything that is a combustion engine on two wheels needs to pay a parking ticket at 20 euros uh, on a daily basis. That'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, meaning that if you buy uh, with financing a cake bike or from anyone who might be our competitor, which is electric, you're actually gonna, in three days, you've saved the monthly cost yeah. of the parking tickets in Paris. So Incredible. again, beautiful, beautiful initiatives to support the, the change from a political perspective, because, yeah. because generally politicians seem to be way after. And yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I've got a question for you. You are a serial entrepreneur. You know, you've been extremely successful, but what do you like to do to unwind and relax? What do you do in your downtime? Is there any downtime for Stefan? No, I think that someone asked me what he missed the most. And I think that when I conclude my life at any, whatever that point might be, I'd say that I missed resting. I never rest. Wow. How much sleep do you get a night? I'm a sleeper, so I normally sleep between six and a half and seven and a half hours. So it's not that I'm up 24 hours. But as soon as I'm up, I'm like on to something. And do I feel sorry for myself? No, I love what I'm doing. So you love what you do, you'll never do a day's work in your life. Uh, we got time for a couple more questions. Glenn, have you got um, a couple more before I uh, wrap it up and let Stefan get on with his day? I was going to ask, and this could be a bit sensitive for you, Stefan. So I'm also monitoring the nautical businesses as in small boats. And there's a lot of Swedish businesses that are yeah. doing really good work there too. Is there any kind of interest from a cake perspective to head into other versions of electric mobility? I think that the most recent visible thing that you can trace online is a project done by a designer here at Cake named Fanny Johansson. And she did her master thesis at the Umeå University for vehicle design. And she did this all-wheel drive solution for regenerative agriculture. If you look at Yanko Design, Y-A-N-K-O design.com, I think it is. The name of that vehicle is KIB. It means in the, the Gotlandish language, which is how we name all our different vessels. So KIB is K-I-B-B. It's a four-wheeler with a totally fresh perspective on how such a vehicle will support and, and contribute to and accelerate a much more sober perspective on agriculture and farming. Notice that yeah. you won some other design awards recently. You must have a very strong design culture within your company. I think that I've been working with, to me, what is design? Well, design is to promote an aspiring perception among a defined group of users. So I have a very cautious perspective on discussing design because to most people, design is a misconceived kind of concept. Design is about making ambitions and strategies come alive. There's nothing which is design or is not designed. There's only good and bad design. It's all about planning the process of giving something ended functionality. We never talk about design internally. Design is super crucial to us, which is, again, being able to plan every single detail, every little bolt to make sure that 
it supports the intended holistic perception of what we're sharing. So it's within our bones or spine. It's so easy if you kind of use the design concepts or a description or what we're doing, because then you're categorized into being something which is by the majority of people being considered as being designed or not. And uh, that's why we kind of try to stay away. We, uh, we deliberately stay away. But again, it's super deliberate what we do and, and being awarded with these allocates and design awards and so forth is extremely important to us because it's on one side for the team to be able to celebrate success and it's like graduation day, uh, you present something and it's being saluted and appreciated by third party someone's and it means a lot. And from a marketing perspective, instead of making stupid advertising saying that we're good or better or whatever, being able to have someone else uh, sharing the fact that we're at least something which is interesting it has a much better, you know... means a lot more, doesn't it? It yeah. definitely means a lot more. And I think the fact that your concept is that you didn't have to follow, like you said, any heritage, you know, yeah. as, a, as a brand new brand. This is what we're planning on doing. This is why we're doing it. You yeah. can build exactly what you want without having, I guess, the weight of, oh, but you, you need it to look like this. It must look yeah. like this. You know, you've got to make it look yeah. sporty or, you know, you, you've been very free with your design Absolutely. to do as you please. Absolutely. Stefan, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you today. Glenn, I mean, it's been eye-opening and I don't know about you, but I am more excited than I was 50 minutes ago about getting my bottom on an electric bicycle. It has to happen. I want an electric motorbike. Yeah, yeah. But tell me, guys, where are you based? Here in Connecticut, so the, the just the state up from New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, We're opening up our Williamsburg showroom uh, test center and, and service center. So it's not too far away. So I'll make sure, let's, let's stay in contact. And we, we're going to have vans and trucks there as well. So there will be tests, you know, riding opportunities in Connecticut as well. So I love you. I love let's you. Let's make it happen. That's yeah. an absolute yes. Uh, Stefan, if people are as excited as Glenn and I and want to carry on the conversation with you or they want to find out more about the range, the ethos behind your company, how can they find yeah. out more information about Cake? Well, there is, of course, a website, which is ridecake.com. Elsa, Lab, you're always welcome to reach out. There are a few emails there and I'm transparently available on LinkedIn, good and bad, but I try to respond <laughs> as much as I can. Amazing. I do my best. I'm grateful for that because that's how we came to be here today. So Stefan, yeah. it's, it's great to meet you cool. and thank you for your time and great work. Really excited about you and keep it up. Keep on keeping on. Thank yeah. you. And thank you for having me. Great conversation. I enjoyed uh, meeting the two of you and hope to see you on a bike, on a cake bike soon. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. Stefan, thank yeah, you for cool. your time and being a part of the Curious Capitalist. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Curious Capitalist. If you would like to find out more about conscious capitalism, or if you would like to join the local chapter, visit the website connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org. The Curious Capitalist is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, subscribe to and share this podcast today. This podcast was created and produced by Red Rock Branding, redrockbranding.com.